Four points from six isn't the worst outcome, but United will be disappointed to leave yesterday's rival matchup against Leeds with just a point after dominating the proceedings. While looking forward to Sunday's revenge opportunity, we discuss some of the prevalent topics from these two games, including some new and returning faces in Premier League action and the impacts they made on the team. case. We were both busy during that Leeds match and so we just re-watched it together, both not knowing anything about the score except that Nanto opener. How badly do you think we broke Discord servers yelling at that Sancho equalizer? <laughs> that was fun, wasn't it? That was actually the first time Aaron and I had, had gotten to watch a match together and I'm putting together in quotes because we weren't actually in the same place, but we, we, went, we went nuts. It was fun. It was a good time. Yeah, uh, super happy for him. We we have rewatched matches, but we've never watched one not knowing the score. So it was quite fun hearing Case yell at frustrating things that he was seeing in real time. I, I really enjoyed that. But before we talk about that match, which is fresh on our minds, we are going to go back and talk about the Crystal Palace game, which I thought was a good match for United. Obviously drawing against Palace a couple weeks ago. Today they got the win. A key component of the match was that it was too soon for Sabitzer to start, but of course, Erickson was out. And so Fred played, and I wanted to talk about that. How do you think Fred's introduction impacts the team? Because I thought in many ways, it actually made United better than they are with Erickson in the 11. Yeah, I uh, I mean, Erickson's motor is just like, his engine is nowhere near Fred's. He just can't cover the same ground Fred can. So I find that we can pin opposition much more easily with Fred in the in the in the match than we can with Erickson. On the other hand, you know Erickson lets you you're you're gonna have less erratic technical execution playing out, which I think we saw play out today uh, against Leeds. When you don't need to work around a press, I actually think yeah, this is a controversial take. I would rather have Fred in the game than Erickson specifically in those matches. Or maybe those game states um, where you're where you're not going to have to build out from the back. I've long been a proponent of Fred. I think we saw this around the time United battered Spurs and then should have beaten Chelsea um, earlier in the season. I think maybe the thing with Erickson is he allows you to drill more of the style of play that you'll see in the longer term. And short term, I'd say it's still quite marginal between the two of them. So... Having Erickson in the team kind of makes sense from a perspective of when you remove him and put in someone else, if that's the eventual goal, who is more athletic and a little bit closer to, to Fred on that level. Um, you, you'll be able to run more similar plays with someone else doing the stuff Erickson does. Whereas I think Fred, and we saw this in the Leeds match, struggles under a press quite a bit and makes it really difficult to run those kinds of plays. Um where he's receiving under a press and trying to play out. Yeah, I, yeah, we saw that today, like you said. And this is jumping ahead, but definitely the value decision, the, the value trade-off changes a lot, uh, especially since, yeah, we'll save that for later. Uh, in, instead of me getting into that, let's look at the positive side of it. Uh, we spent a lot of time in the final third against Palace, 
partially as a, uh, a byproduct of Fred starting, uh, but didn't really make much of it. Uh, breakthrough came from a penalty, and then we kind of, I think you put it this way, uh, we kind of struggled to put the match away. What do you think was the cause of that? Why do you think we struggled to put the match away? Yeah, I'm not fully sure. I think it's mainly just chance creation. Normally, I think the conversations we've had about putting the match away have to do with match control. One, settled defense, which has been pretty good this season. Two, playing out of the back consistently and getting out of pressure, which I think in this match wasn't really a problem. I think United were getting to the other half pretty easily. And then number three... um creating chances to score without losing the ball a lot, which is where I think United didn't quite get it done. Um, I think there were a lot of half chances in this game, um, a lot of sort of working the ball around in the final third, basically a lot of things you associate with match control, but just not really things you associate with, you know, battering the opposition or or, um, creating a lot of high quality chances in settled possession. Um, And I think it's the type of thing you see more because United dominated this game more than they have dominated a few games in recent weeks. And then I think the second phase of United struggling to put this game away was actually them doing quite well in the face of having a man sent off. But yeah, I think as you see United dominating more, you'll see more of this settled possession play against low blocks um, where United have to break down the opposition and I think United will have to be better at it than they were in this game in order to consistently win matches from those phases. Yeah, I agree with that. I think we suffered in a few ways. Um, Palace, I think, are a pretty disciplined side when it comes to not getting drawn out. Uh, in specifically, in like when they're in, when they're sitting in a block, uh, this is not a team that you can sort of circulate deep, pass back to your center backs, and then stretch the match easily because they stay very vertically compact. They keep their lines tight. Their forward line stays tight to their midfield line, which stays tight to their defensive line. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a, t- it's a tough task. Um, this is not the easiest team in the league to break down. All of that said, yeah, it, it wasn't a strong performance in, in that respect. I think... I think part of it is just a pure talent problem. We need star attackers to be able to just bulldoze organized teams consistently. And I still do think we have a, a dearth of those players to some extent. Um, there's ways we can improve. Specifically, there was some, you know, some dicey decision-making, which we talk about all the time. Um, some bad technical execution, especially in crossing situations, just little stuff. But ultimately, I don't know. It would really help if we had an elite striker, <laughs> um, which I know sounds like an oversimplification, but I do think it makes a big difference in this scenario. Yeah. Um, do you want to maybe elaborate on types of situations where just in general, a striker in a match like this would help facilitate higher quality shots? I think we've talked a little bit about how Weghorst does this more than Martial, but perhaps not at an elite level. And I think that's what you're referring to here. Yeah, I think 
you know, there's two aspects of box play for center forwards that I think Martial doesn't really offer that elite nines do. One of them is box occupation, right? Which is just being a body, shifting opposition players around, um, which is something that Wechhorst does do. Um, but there's another aspect of it, which is shot creation, right? Which is like actually being the guy who receives the ball in the box and gets a shot off. That's something he doesn't really do. And, and when I say gets a shot off, I'm not talking about any shot. I'm talking about getting good shots off, which Martial gets shots off, but they're very rarely good shots. This is something that Cavani was really good at. Uh, it's a, a lot of it is functional athleticism. Um, it's movement, but it's also, it's pure technicality. Um, in like a lot of different capacities, not just with the ball on the ground. It's about killing the ball. You know what I mean? Uh, when I say killing the ball, I mean um, trapping it, whether it's bouncing, whether it's, you know, coming straight out of the air, bounding in long bounces. Um, strikers need to be able to deal with really awkward, they need to be technical problem solvers when they're elite goal scorers. Um, and I, I think that is something we really lack. Uh, somebody who sort of does all the box occupation and then also when the ball is in the box is, is, is deadly. So I originally planned on having this a little bit later in the episode, but I'm going to bring it up a little bit. Um, so in this match, Weghorst gets subbed off, Rashford moves up front, and he scores a really nice goal, partially because of his movement, partially because of the team play as a whole. And then again, I think he struggled a lot in the Leeds match while playing at right wing and a little bit at left wing. And then he moved up front and he scored a great goal. How much of this do you think is luck or variance or, um, or do you think it's a trend? Do you think Rashford is actually developing into a bit of a central striker? Um, Because I think we previously agreed that he's better out wide, especially on the left. Yeah, I, I still think Rashford's a, a, a left winger for me. However, there have been some good signs in these last few matches. The second goal against Palace, like you mentioned, is a good piece of striker play from Rashford. Something that people, I think, don't realize in some instances is that good striker play, and specifically Good striker movement doesn't have to be movement all the time. A lot of great strikers, something that Luis Suarez did a lot, uh, specifically when he was with Barcelona, was he'd stand in one spot and let play move away from him. And functionally what that does is it causes markers to just focus on different players. And so when play comes back to you, when when you're onside again or when you're in a position where you're accessible first to to receive a pass, you often wind up momenta- like instantaneously unmarked. And that's exactly what happened to Rashford. He sort of just stood in one spot, which doesn't intuitively seem like a good thing to do, but it really paid off in that instance, which I really liked. Could have been anomalous. We'll see if it is. But then if you fast forward to this Leeds match, some more good striker play. In particular, what I liked was when Sancho came on, he was coming wide to offer in the half spaces for Sancho rather than coming wide and deep 
I want you to picture something. Sancho has the ball on the left. He's double marked. You've got a fullback and either a midfielder or a winger in support. So he, he really he doesn't have an opportunity to dribble past anyone. Something that in the past, Martial and Ronaldo and Bruno and Rashford himself would do is they would pull wide from central areas, but instead of sitting on the last line in the half space, they would come deep, uh, sort of so that Sancho would have to back pass to them to access them. And this is a much less threatening thing to do, and it really kills Sancho's game because what he wants to do in these situations is play wall passes. Um, and Rashford, I, I saw him getting into these into that half space more and more rather than uh, forcing Sancho to play back. And it added up to what I think is probably Sancho's, some of the best Sancho uh, football that we've seen at United. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about Sancho a little bit later. I think these are the types of things, like obviously if Rashford's playing at left wing, Sancho can't play at left wing, and that's going to prevent that type of action from happening. But... I think in general, you're seeing a little bit more of the aspects of striker play that include either running the channels or um, allowing the ball to hit him in the center of the box from Rashford. Um, in particular, I, I think that header was really nice as well. And it's kind of similar in that I don't think he does anything in particular to shrug off markers. I think he just lets the ball go wide and lets the delivery come in onto his head. Um, and the, and and he takes it really well once again and benefits from it. But I think what you still don't really have from Rashford is sort of like a holistic idea of how he should move in relation to the defense. Something you see from players that we talk about regularly on the podcast about United being linked with, players like Harry Kane, Victor Ossiman in particular, he has a really good idea of where he needs to be positioned both vertically and horizontally in relation to the opposition defense and how he has to time moving from where he is to that point. Um, so you'll see him, for example, sometimes he's already at the front post when the delivery is coming in, but sometimes he's standing in the center like Rashford was and then making a run towards the front post. And that's the type of thing that, it's, it, like we said, I think in a, a couple episodes ago, it's really hard to point out over a run of 30 games where these situations happen once or twice and then they go away and then they come up again. But I think the best strikers have this deep, almost like portfolio of different ways they can react to opposition defenses that I don't see from Rashford. And the other thing is the hold-up and link-up play. Like I thought for all Weghorst was lacking in his shot generation, I think his ability to receive with his back to goal and play other players in was really good in both of these matches and has been good since he joined. Um, and I think that's an aspect that you lose a little bit with Rashford up front. Yeah, agreed on that last point in particular. You definitely lose your the link-up play and the hold-up play uh, with Rashford at nine. I definitely don't think... I think that's probably actually a weaker side of his game than his striker movement. As for his goal against Leeds... I will take nothing away from the header. I don't think that this is like a great example of good striker movement. I'll say something and it's kind of controversial. And in most cases, you don't want crosses 
to be to an area. You want them to be to a player. And when they're to a player, it's usually because it was very good striker movement. Um, and you saw Cavani do this a lot. He would make a run that was so incisive that you couldn't not play the ball because it was so obvious that if the ball was there, the chance was there. This goal from Rashford, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Rashford. This is something that I think about a lot when United sort of score one or two goals from crosses and people start talking about, oh, are we getting better from crosses? I think a key thing to distinguish and a, a good indicator of whether you're actually getting better at scoring crosses or, or whether certain players are becoming more dangerous from crossing situations is whether your movement is forcing a cross as opposed to you're putting a cross into an area and a player is attacking that cross. Um, there's nothing wrong with scoring a, a goal from a cross that you've attacked, but I think it's much more variable. It's more speculative as opposed to creating big chances replicable. The, the avenue that is forcing crosses from movement, uh, which I think is a much more replicable avenue to creating chances. That, that's an aside, but I, th- I think it's worthwhile. Yeah, I still think it's a. I, I still think it's a good action from him. Again, as a striker that there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying like I'm not going to sit here and be like Rashford actually shouldn't have scored that goal and it was bad. Like it was good, but I, the, I'll tell you the the Rashford goal that I liked better is he scored a header at the back post while playing left wing, probably a few months ago. It was in the fall. I forget exactly which team it was against. But there he forces the the cross. He he makes a run that like when you see the ball released for, for the cross, you know who the target is, and the target is moving towards a like basically a, an agreed upon point between the crosser and the runner, um, as opposed to just hit like crossing at a spot and hoping somebody makes a play on yeah. the ball. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Before we begin to move on to the next match, and I guess we've kind of already mixed it in a little bit, but I wanted to talk about Casemiro getting sent off. One, I mean, obviously it's silly, but that's fine. Um, How do you think that impacted United's ability to see out the Crystal Palace game? How do you think they performed in that scenario? And then how do you think Casemiro's sending off affects United over the next two matches and, and yesterday's match against Leeds? The sending off had a massive effect on our ability to see out that match. We were definitely going to cruise uh, after being up 2-0. I think that match was basically over. And then it wasn't, right? Uh, unfortunate red card, and then we had to you know, fight tooth and nail to win that match. We won it. Whatever. Move on. The... The upshot of it is not having Casemiro, right, for these these ensuing matches. It's rough, but if there was any stretch during the season where you were going to lose Casemiro, I think this is actually perfect. Um, I don't think Leeds was a team, despite the results, where we actually missed Casemiro that much. Um, I we're, we're playing Leeds again on Sunday. That's another fixture where we're going to miss him. And then it's Leicester, which whatever. Um, 
we're worse without Casemiro. There's no doubt about it. If results falter in these next two fixtures after having dropped points to Leeds, I think there's going to be a lot of narrativizing this as being, oh, we lost Casemiro and that's what's wrong. If we perform the way we played against Leeds today in these next two matches, I would go so far as to say we've barely missed Casemiro. Yeah, I mostly agree. I think Casemiro's absence was felt to some extent in this Leeds match when United were defending transitions. Um, I think specifically the loss was felt in terms of rest defense phases. Moments where we lost the ball. Casemiro would have been deeper. He would have been available uh, to to slow down attacks. And I think Sabitzer and Fred didn't execute this as well in moments. And then they're also not as strong in challenges. So yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm not going to downplay Casemiro's impact. He's our best midfielder by a long way. Well, I think it does work in United's advantage that if they are prioritizing all the competitions equally, he's going to be able to play the Barcelona ties, but he's not... He's going to rest in the league. Um, and like you said, I don't think the opposition of Leeds and Leicester are the worst matches for him to miss. And I think Marcel Sabitzer came in and did quite well. So Sabitzer started at six here. Um, I think in defensive transitions, he was caught out a little bit. I don't think this is the position that he's going to play for the most part during his time here. That being said... How do you think he did, and would you continue to play him there uh, if and when McTominay is back and Casemiro is not? Yeah, uh, I think he was fine. I think he was probably the best of the three midfielders. I would go so far as to say that. Um, I think he doesn't have a good handle on really any of our tactical stuff yet, which is unfortunate, but, I mean, he's been for here for a week. But I still think he's got a good technical level seems pretty strong in duels. Yeah, I, 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 I would continue to play him. Would you? Yeah, I think so. I, I think he has a level of athleticism that allows him to cover defensively in a way that Erickson could not have. So when you saw Casemiro go out previously, you would see McTominay and Erickson as opposed to Erickson and Fred. Uh, but I think with Sabitzer... He does have a few erratic moments defensively. I think Leeds surpassed him a couple of times um, in, in the in the in the rest defensive moments in transition. Um, but I don't think there's the same trade off there is uh, as losing Casemiro and deciding to play Erickson in that position. So I think I would continue with him instead of McTominay, and that's the that's the key change there. I mean, hey, like. If you want to talk about that that Palace match and that second goal, there's a t- it's a great move, right? Rashford scores, but it's a great multi-pass move. But if you watch how it starts, on the left side, uh, Casemiro's actually... When, when Garnacho starts driving horizontally across Palace's defense, what Casemiro actually does before he uh, goes and makes a run onto the last line... He looks over his shoulder and he checks to make sure United have the right rest defense structure. Before he do, like before he does makes any attacking movement, he's thinking about rest defense. I think all of our starting midfielders do this to some extent. 
But right now you're playing without two of them. Uh, and I think naturally your rest defense is going to get a lot worse. And that's without even taking into account the fact that Casemiro is probably the best ball winner in the world. Like just from a cognitive standpoint, there's no replacing Casemiro just because he's been playing all the time and he's a really smart player. I think we're going to talk a little bit about rest defense in in a lot more detail in a couple of episodes from now, the next, if not the one after. But the source of United not winning this match was ultimately conceding two goals. And I think both goals were to some extent unlucky. Would, would you agree with that statement? <laughs> okay. We, uh, uh, the first goal... Bruno gives away the ball in his own half. I think we both had some strong words about that in the moment, but even then it's pretty unlucky for that to result in the shot that Nanto is able to put in the back of the net. Um, I don't really think any of the back four did anything particularly wrong. They closed him down pretty quickly. He just got a long shot off and it was a perfect shot. It's, It's unlikely to end in a goal in isolation, but it's something that Bruno does way more than he should. And again, this is going back to who Bruno is as a player. He's not a particularly effective dribbler, and he's a bit easy to, to push off the ball, doesn't really like being under pressure. All of those things lead to a player who you don't want on the ball uh, in, in your own third. Player's going to be vulnerable. And, and, and I think if Bruno plays every match, you're just resigned to the fact that you are going to concede at least one goal, probably more, every season because he gives up the ball in, in your half. And that's just a trade-off. Like, you just have to deal with it. Well, I'm going to be stat man for about five seconds here and say that the shot still has an XG of 0.04. And then Varane's own goal has an XG of zero because they didn't take a shot. Um, And obviously, if we had an idealistic model that wasn't just based on shots, that goal would have some level of probability that is above zero. But United still had two XG compared to 0.55 for Leeds. Is that not a huge margin that is probably better than most of the matches United have played this season um, and one that you would normally expect to win with? I mean, yes, 100%. This is sort of a a brute force way of looking at things because it's not this simple. But generally speaking, if you have more, if you have 0.7 XG more than your opponent or more, so if your XG difference in a given match is plus 0.7 or higher, that generally is going to mean you had more than a 50% chance of winning the match. Not winning or drawing, you had a 50% or or higher chance of winning that match. So if you were to look at the probability distribution for this match, United, if you replay the match a thousand times, United win it more than 500. They win it way more than 500. Like, to add to what you're saying... 0.55 xg is also really low. So for example, 0.55 xg to 1.25 is a difference of 0.7. Um and so is 2 to 2.7. And the first scenario gives you a lot more uh, a much higher chance of winning, I think, or at least a higher chance of winning than the second scenario. And so not only did United create a lot in this match, they also didn't concede all that much. And yes, there's some 
sort of asterisks around that. They conceded in the second or third minute, and from there, we're basically attacking the entire game, looking for an equalizer that can skew XG. Uh, there was a lot of discourse about that around the time when Solskjaer finished second with United, which was that United went down in a lot of matches, which actually incentivized them to attack and arguably inflated their XG total. But on but but overall, I still think United were just by far the dominant source, uh, the dominant side in this match, even when they equalized and after they equalized, um, and therefore, yeah, you don't expect to draw this match very often and. I think we both went into it after the first goal, expecting cause for concern, looking back to other games where United have gone behind, but this one really just wasn't as concerning as some of the other matches where United have dropped points. Yeah, I agree with that. I will say the first 10 minutes were bad, and they were bad because when we had goal kicks, Leeds basically invited Varane to beat them, beat their press. If you watch... That if you were to go back and watch those 10 minutes again, the first 10 minutes, you would notice when De Gea uh, gives the ball to Varane, Leeds pause for a second, their press pauses, and then someone goes towards Varane, only so insofar as to force Varane to play to someone else, and then the press triggers. And what that did was it forced... Uh, it, it put other players... Uh, in bad situations in our half and Leeds got a few high ball wins and controlled that, that early phase and got a goal. Um, yeah. So still a yeah. weakness. So I'd say the most concerning thing was that, right? The playing out of pressure and in particular, I mean, we already know about De Gea, but I think this was one of the first matches where we really saw that Varane isn't exactly the best player at playing out of a press. Obviously, he's had a great season. I think he's been one of the best defenders in the Premier League as a whole, but he really did have a lot of issues in terms of breaking the line, and I think we were having some discussion about what plays United were trying to run with him on the ball, and I think the conclusion we came to was Sabitzer was trying to uh, mark the opposition... Uh, the opposition's first mark in front of Varane out so that the ball could go through, and Varane couldn't play the ball through. Yeah, to, so to clarify what Aaron's saying there, because I think this can be a difficult thing to picture, not that you describe it poorly, but just so we have complete clarity. Varane was on the ball, and generally he was about dead center on the pitch, a little bit off to the right side, but he had Dallow to his right, Lissandro to his left, and then Shaw further up the pitch. Then in front of him was Sabitzer. This is early in the match. And what Sabitzer, and this is speculatory, but speculative, but Aaron and I think that what Sabitzer was trying to do was to force uh, the marker in front of Varane to cheat a little bit off to one side, which is to say try to stop Varane from passing to Sabitzer. And in doing so, open up a lane to Fred, who was a little bit deeper on the pitch on the opposite side. Varane didn't make this pass early on in the match. I don't know why he didn't make this pass. Uh, we didn't have the, the benefit of a tactical cam, which would have let us see the whole pitch. So maybe it wasn't available. But I also think Varane is a little uh, timid in terms of uh, line-breaking passes over 
these medium distances, right? I don't necessarily think he's timid without reason either. Like, I don't think he looked particularly secure on the ball. I don't think he's, like, underestimating his ability. I think he, he isn't a particularly good passer over those distances, and that's why he doesn't make those passes. Yeah. Um, it's a different kind of limitation. Yeah, I, I think many would have construed this to be a bad Varane performance because of the own goal, but I think what we really are trying to highlight here is that we also thought it was a poor Varane match, but not really because of the own goal, more because of He's just not very good in possession. possession. Yeah, sorry. Ditto. Yeah, and I think I think that is actually a bigger problem than, then, you know... An own goal. He, he's, he's clearly very good defensively, so... How much he contributes in possession is going to be an interesting thing moving forward. And I think his inclusion or or whether United decide to go back into the market for another center back and who they decide to go for will largely be governed by matches in which we think Varane is suitable to play and matches where he's not. Because obviously United have gone a long run of matches where he's been fine. But today I think it was a clear problem. And I mean, he's obviously an experienced player, so... I don't think this is an aspect of his game that's going to particularly change uh, in the near future. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's talk about something happier. Uh, Dalo yeah. back in Dalo's back. 11. Yay! Um, Sorry. Yeah, what did you think of his performance from Dalo? Yeah, so Dallas. I really think United have missed Dalo over the last few months, breaking a lot of lines and build up. Stronger, more consistent ball carrier than Wambasaka. There was one play earlier in the match where United are in transition, or sorry, United are in a pressing situation, and the ball sort of drops in front of Dalo's feet, and he just plays a one-touch left-footed through ball that puts Bruno um, in space. And I don't know, that level of technical ability just isn't that common among anyone, let alone among United's alternative options in this position. The cross for the assist was also very good. Yeah, he just adds so much. I think he he was even pretty good defensively in this game, I think. like his He dealt with Nanto, who I think is Leeds' biggest threat among their starting players on the ball. He pretty much had his number 1v1 for most of this match even though I think Nanto played quite well. So pretty much an all-rounder from him and probably one of United's best players, which is a good sign for his first match back. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think, I think he was pretty strong defensively for the most part as well. And yeah, I, people have made a lot of thoughts about Wan-Bissaka improving. And I totally think Wan-Bissaka has improved under the new manager and with the new coaching staff and in the new system. Um, That said, he's still just nowhere near good enough technically. And you still see him make just dangerously bad technical mistakes that Dallow does not make. So I don't really think there's a tenable argument that even in improved form, he belongs starting. And I say this as somebody who, honestly, Wambasaka, I would say Wambasaka has played better in the last month than I ever thought he would in a Manchester United shirt. His off-ball movement in the final third has been good. Uh, he's picked up the defensive positioning 
at least in rest defense phases, uh, and he's played more progressive passes than we've ever seen him play before. All of that is really good, but he's, he's still fundamentally got the same issues, which is that technicality issue, and then he falls asleep in his marking responsibilities. All of which is to say I'm very happy Dallow is back. Yeah, I think when Wan-Bissaka is at his best, what you really see is more of an opportunity cost in possession than sort of mistakes being made everywhere. Like, he's not necessarily going to give the ball away frequently in build-up, but what he is going to do is default into sideways actions, uh, struggle a little bit to sort his feet out, and it doesn't look like a bad thing until you put someone in there who is extremely technically proficient and basically breaking lines and playing out of a press for fun, which is what all the other top teams have in these positions. Um, And not only would I say that I'm happy Dalo's back, I would hope that United try to get someone who is like Dalo in in future seasons when he's out. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about like Dalo, because I think maybe it would be rather, good to have... Rather of the same skill level as yeah, Dalo, yeah. or a comparable level. Yeah. yeah, I think Dalo's level is like very, very high, so I'm not actually sure you're going to be able to upgrade on him at a reasonable price, if any price at all. But I do think you can get a different kind of player, which I know we've talked about this. I think a a right back who's more dynamic as a dribbler gets higher up the pitch in the final third in certain situations would would make us a better team. But again, that's... that's Case wants wants Joao Cancelo at United (laughs) this summer. Yes. The newly um, disenchanted. No, okay. Let's talk about Lissandro. I know he's been playing and he's been playing great anyways, but I feel like he was even greater this week. Yeah, um, he was incredible in both of these matches. Like, especially in the Leeds match, I feel like United could have been down by more goals in those earlier stages when you said they weren't playing well. If not for Lissandro producing a number of heroic defensive actions and then being brilliant in possession of the ball. He's just... I don't know. I, I think I said this off-air a while ago. I think you might have tweeted it recently. He is the best left-footed center back in the world. And I feel like he's one of the best center backs in the world, period. Yeah, well put. I don't think anything needs to be added there. Awesome. Garnacho also started this game. Thought he was great. There was one play where I think he was receiving a diagonal, and he takes the first touch, and then the second touch is into space, and he grills two Leeds yeah. players. And the two of us were, again, breaking Discord servers with the decibel level that we achieved. Um, he, he had a couple of other really fun. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, I underestimated how good he was going to be. Um, I didn't see him. I think he's already an above average Premier League left winger. I would go that far. And I did not see that happening. I, I'm surprised. Still a lot of rough edges to iron out, but he had probably all three of United's best moments in the first half. Yeah. Well, I would say there's kind of three areas of... If we're if we're going with really broad strokes, three areas of attacking play. And actually, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast, but I know we've talked about it off. There's kind of the 
creation from dribbling, creation from passing, and then creation from high-quality shots. I think he's more productive on the dribble than we both thought he would be. Way more. Um, way, way, way more. And I knew he was yeah, a like good dribbler at youth level. It's just I didn't see it translating like this. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't uh, – and regardless of how good he's been, I don't think creative passing is really his thing. So I think how high of a level he reaches is going to depend on really how many goals he's able to score. Um, yeah. And other than that, I think he could be a useful squad player at least for the next, I mean, you know, as long as he wants to be at the club. He's already a useful squad player, right? And he's really, yeah. really young. Like, has he turned 19 Born 2004. Yet? He turns 19 this year. Yeah. He's 18. He's, he's 18, like, through the end of the season. He doesn't turn 19 until July 1st. I think he's, his ceiling is definitely a starter for a Champions League competitive team. Like a like a, a league challenging team, which I will tell you, I, that is way that's so far beyond what I thought 4 months ago. Speaking of thought 4 months ago versus thinking now. Sancho's back and he was so awesome. He was in this awesome game. in this match. Awesome. Yeah, I, Sancho's game really different to pretty much anyone else United have. And I think it's mostly focused on what he does when he releases the ball, how he times it, the types of passes he likes to play, and how valuable that is. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think what's valuable about Sancho, what the reason he was so successful at Dortmund, the reason he was so expensive, is... His ability to identify and play incisive passes in the final third. This is something that most players cannot do. They don't feel comfortable enough on the ball to pick their heads up. They don't have the touch to play uh, in small spaces. Uh, And then he also is an excellent off-ball mover in conjunction with that that creative passing ability, which makes his link up great. And we saw all of that today. I'm not going to downplay. I think there were probably mental things going on that were affecting his performance, probably fitness reasons that he wasn't performing well. But I think a big difference that you saw today was Fred and Rashford and Shaw all uh, executing support runs for him, right? He has this really rare ability. He's an elite creative passer at his position. And they were actually making most of that. And so you saw him play... Rashford twice, Shaw a handful of times, and then cut the ball back for Fred to create, like, I think he probably created most of United's threatening moments in the second half. Um, Also, uh, squared the ball straight across the six-yard box for Bruno, who had a shot blocked. It wasn't like a a 10 out of 10, but, like, if if Sancho plays like that every match, he's going to be really productive and we're going to be really good. So yeah, exciting stuff. I have to say, I, I, it was a fun match to watch just because I'm rooting so hard for that guy. Speaking of rooting so hard for him, it seems like Rashford and Garnacho have a good grip on the left wing position. And they both, I would say, had slightly poor mixed bags at right wing in this game. We don't actually know how long Anthony is out. If Anthony is out... Palistri came on in this match. 
there's a couple of different options. None seem perfect. All seem viable. Who do you play at right wing? I think in an ideal world, we get to a place where Sancho is the answer to this question when Anthony is out. However, I think right now what you really want is to just keep Sancho going at the highest level possible. Just build his confidence as much as you can. And I think what that means is when he comes on, he's playing either in central areas or on the left wing just because he's that's where he's had joy. Um, so for the time being, I would say Polistri because I think both Rashford and Garnacho look bad at right wing in this match. Um, Garnacho a little bit better than Rashford, uh, but I think honestly... Rashford's had good moments at right wing, so like I, I'm not gonna go. I think he's probably better suited to right wing than than Garnacho. Just this in this match, Garnacho happens to beat a few players at right wing, and Rashford did not. Um, I don't think do either think of them. Bruno could be an there. option out there. Sure, yeah, uh, I think so. But like, I think Polistri is the closest thing to Anthony in terms of maintaining shape properly on the right wing, which I think was something we suffered from in the first half of this match until yeah. into the second half until Blister came on. Uh, I, I think it's also easy to discount the value of it. Like I, I really think the shape on the right side is the type of thing that really governs which flank United attack down. So even if United end up getting not great attacks from Palistri on the right, I feel like he's a bit of an unknown quantity, so he could end up being pretty good. But even if they end up getting slightly incoherent attacks down the right, I feel like that's better than struggling entirely to progress and create down the right. A hundred percent, right? Like there's no, there's no arguing with that. Um, and the reality is we were awful down the right side in the first 60 minutes of this match. Polistri comes on, we get a little bit of structure. I don't even think Polistri was particularly excellent, though he did play a part in the first goal. He gives a little bit of structure and it opens things up on the left side. Uh, the ball hardly went down the right side in the second half of the match, but it could have when we wanted it to, and that's the difference. Awesome. Anything else from these two games? I feel like we've uh, we've actually blazed through a lot of topics in the 50 minutes we've been recording here. Yeah, we really have covered a lot of ground. The only thing I would add is... This probably doesn't belong at this point in the episode, so if it works, try to fit it in somewhere, but... Um, we mentioned earlier that Fred is uh, valuable in these sort of policy matches where you were pinning teams. The opposite, the other end of that is uh, he's super erratic in these these lead Z matches where the game is end to end. He's under a lot of pressure. Uh, a lot of he has to execute on the first touch a lot of the time. Control passes under pressure. Today was not a great performance from him. Um, but it's also just not the setting where he's going to thrive. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, that's all there is yeah, to that. I feel like it's very explainable. I think you know what you're getting with Fred, and that's that. I I, I think this is the reason why you'll still see Casemiro and Sibitzer in the majority of matches for the remainder of the season. Even though I think Fred has been, on the whole, very good lately and probably will play a key role as a sub and in certain matches for the remainder of the season. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. It's funny. This is probably the, the happiest I've been after dropping points in uh, a long time. <laughs> yeah, I think we were both expecting a stinker, but it wasn't one at all. So hopefully they play like this on the weekend and 
Yeah. It's an easy three points. Start 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 the match the way you finish the match on the on today uh, at the weekend and we will win comfortably, I think. The second leg against managerless leads. On that note, we will be back after that match. And yes, one other thing. We are most likely going to upload on Monday. Firstly, because United have a Europa League game next Thursday. And secondly, because I'm a busy bee who has a schedule that keeps changing. So expect a Monday upload at least for the next two weeks and potentially after that. Other than that, we'll see you then. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.